Next up on the Renaissance Man podcast, we have multi-platform host, ESPN commentator, and sports journalist, Bomani Jones. Coming up, I talked to Bomani about the ways both Atlanta and Houston have shaped him, how the great Ralph Wiley played a part in his success, and how he and his team came up with their brilliant game theory segments, like the one I was a part of on season one. Up next, Bomani Jones. Let's go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. This week's theme is real talk. Having a platform like the many that I'm fortunate to have, I don't take for granted, whether ESPN ABC, Amp Radio, and this very show, The Renaissance Man for the New York Post. It's a big responsibility to be a voice in the sports media space, entertainment, pop culture, the black community, and more. So I try my best to be authentic and give that real talk, whether it be on what's happening in my community, politics, the league, or the value of staying fresh, in particular, keeping a fresh cut. And I hope you are always being the realest version of yourself as well as you walk through life. Your perspective matters. Your opinion matters. So share it. Write about what you think needs to change in your community. Stand up for someone who can't stand up for themselves. Speak for the voiceless. Give your bold take to a person that you idolize. And today, we have someone who has made his voice heard and then made a career out of it. Bomani Jones defines real talk. Coming up, I talked to Bomani about who his sports idols were growing up, how he made his transition from economics to the multimedia world, 
and what really went down behind the scenes of his viral interview with Jake Paul. Up next, Bomani Jones. My next guest is a brother from another mother, an Emmy Award-winning sports commentator, journalist, and host whose hilarious, entertaining, and historical perspectives are laced with rhetoric that makes audiences think. His show, Game Theory, who I, by the way, appeared on season one, the first episode, presents the news through the lens of the culture and sports. It's now in its second season and it airs Friday nights on HBO Max. So make sure y'all check that out. It is my honor to welcome the incredible Bomani Jones to the show. What up, family? Dude, what's going on, man? I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time. And I know all about your history and your path, but I want to introduce it to our audience. So you were born in Atlanta right. and raised in Houston. Right. Tell me about what was your childhood like and how either of those cities shaped you. Yo, it's interesting because when I think about the cities, I've always said that if I ever like got arrogant enough to write a memoir, that I might make the point like I'm from everywhere and nowhere all at one time. (laughs) And so we lived in Atlanta until right before I turned seven with a year that we actually spent in Nigeria because my parents had fellowships at a university Mm -hmm. in Nigeria. Interestingly, in the town that uh, Masai Ujiri is from. And so we moved to Houston and it was always a trip because our Atlanta situation was very pan-African, like very red, black and green. Like I can show you the class (laughs) pictures in the dashikis and everything else where we sang, lift every voice and sing every morning. Like I remember my first day of school in Texas, they gave us something to color and it was a guy in a cowboy hat, like in full like Texas gear. And I colored him in red, black and green stripes all the way down. (laughs) Right. Because that's that's what I knew. That's what I was of. Um, And so then we go to Houston and I was in this interesting situation where we lived in the northwest suburbs of the city like this it's Houston comma Texas on the address, but especially black people from Houston, they don't count my Houston as being Houston. (laughs) They don't know nothing that happened outside the 610 loop like that. That don't count for them, but I got nothing else to call it. But my parents worked at uh, Prairie View A&M University when I was growing up, which is 25 miles northwest of that. And that's where I went to school because my parents, my dad in particular, was a little too concerned that where we live was just a little bit too white for him to safely trust his child in their Mm -hmm. education system. Right. Great decision, by the way. He was absolutely right. And so I got this wild thing where I went to school with people who lived in a completely different like socioeconomic world than I did. They lived in a rural world where mine was more urban and suburban like all of that. And then I go home after school 25 miles away and we're not getting home till dark. So I'm not playing with my friends after school because they live there. And I'm not playing with the people after school who live around me because it's already too late for that, you know? So with Atlanta, the big thing I picked up out of Atlanta, if nothing else, is just the blackness of it all, right? Like you don't ever really have to compromise your black in order to get by in Atlanta in a way that doesn't really hold in the other places where Houston and Prairie View and Walla and Hempstead and those little towns I spent time in, what they did for me was give me exposure to everybody. 
And I've been fortunate with my parents to have exposure to all the academics, you know, and all those types of people. But what I really got out of Houston was the exposure up and down the class spectrum and understanding mm-hmm. what life is for people who did not. I was I was very familiar with people who were not like me mm-hmm. in ways that I don't think that people get. So like what I've learned in, like, in my content is I know the things that country white boys do that we do, too. And when I'm talking about it and you think, oh, you just talk about this black stuff and they might not tell you out loud. But the country white boys is like, yeah, the chronic was my jam. You know what I mean? Like, I know these specific things. And so I've been fortunate in my life to have exposure to people all the way up and all the way down. And that helps me like when I'm coming up with stuff, it just makes it easy for me to understand what it is that we all about. So you're very knowledgeable. You're very versatile. And that's one of the things I think makes you really successful in the industry. Who are some of the sports icons you looked up to while you were growing up and how did sports play a part in your childhood? Oh man. So first thing I always say, first thing I ever loved in this world was uh, the Atlanta Braves. And so it was, and, but the way that worked, and this is where the city thing comes in. We moved to Houston um, right before I turned seven and I had no idea how cable television worked. It never dawned on me I would still get to watch the Braves. So I'm in a place that's totally unfamiliar. But not only are the Braves coming on, it's the Central Time Zone. They're coming on an hour earlier. I can actually watch the start of the West Coast games now. Yeah. Like, that that was huge for me. And then, like, when your name is Bo, and then Bo Jackson comes around. No like, I remember, and I think you probably remember this poster, too, the Bo Nose poster that went long ways, and it had him in the baseball uniform and the football and then in oh, basketball and last. then in biker shorts and all of that stuff. When I was a kid, I said, people are like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I wanted to be a jack of all trades because people had always told me I could do all these different things and I wanted to do them all. Mm-hmm. And I look back at it. I just thought about this about 10 years ago. That Bo Jackson poster is that. Yes. Like that Bo Jackson poster is that concept and that idea. And when you really look at like what I do now, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's, it's a whole lot of everything, right? So like that was a big one. Ward Moon was a big one. And I didn't even realize how big it was until later because I didn't pay that much attention to football before we got to Houston. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it was perfectly normal that your quarterback was black. Mm -hmm. I thought it was more strange that his last name was Moon than (laughs) the idea that the quarterback was black. So it is that, you know, I grew up in the generation of Jordan. You know, we got that one. I grew up in not saying this just because I'm here, but obviously the Fab Five was one of those things where somebody my age, because I was 11 when you guys went to the Final Four for the first time, the thing was somebody my age, I couldn't fully appreciate how revolutionary it was because everything was new to me. You know what I mean? It was all coming there. But then when you go back and look at it and you realize, no, this charted the course of a lot of stuff that went on in my life. Like those are the ones I really, I think about heavy off the top of those guys. You actually studied economics at one point. Yeah. You were even working towards your PhD. A lot of people don't realize that. When did you decide that you wanted to make the switch in the sports media? And how was that received by people closest to you? Well, if I may be honest, I made the decision um, to switch fully to sports media very similarly to the way that most college basketball players make the decision to switch to a regular job and not go to the (laughs) NBA where the NBA tells you, you might want to consider going pro in something else. Um, I did two years in North Carolina in the PhD program and the way it works is uh, you take what's called qualifying exams at the end of your first year. There's one in macro, there's one in micro. 
and the micro qualt is the weed out test. Mm-hmm. And I passed the macro the first time and I took the micro twice um, and I did not pass it. But if I'm going to be honest, it's the best thing that ever happened to me because I was doing the PhD in large part because I wanted a media career. And I thought that like having that backup, I could be like a Michael Eric Dyson type, right? A Cornell gotcha. West type with that PhD gotcha. behind me. And none of those guys in that space had one in economics, right? And my mother's an economics professor, you know, all of that. And so I had been writing about stuff, I would say, since I was a senior in college. So when I was 19, I started writing about music and kind of doing like lifestyle columns, cult, you know, politics type stuff. And the sports thing was interesting because I didn't know how you got in there. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know the, the angle. Like, you want to write a music review, you just got to get the, get the album, right? You can right. just write about it. I'm like, <laughs> how do I do this about sports? And what happened and how I got into sports was um, a buddy of mine met a gentleman named Ralph Wiley at a book signing. And I had just written something and I asked him to send it to Ralph just to get his thoughts. And Ralph said he liked it. And Ralph stayed in touch with me. And for those of you who are not familiar with Ralph Wiley, for my money, the best sports writer who has ever lived. And when I start talking about like that jack of all trades type of stuff, remember this. First of all, Ralph Wiley was on the staff at Sports Illustrated in 1980 damn two as a black man. And in 1991, he left because he became the head of Rocket Ishmael's like marketing team. And Sports Illustrated is like, you can't do both. And he was like, cool, holla at you. That's how cold <laughs> that man was, right? Then went right. wrote classic books, wrote Johnny Cochran's bio, was a columnist at ESPN.com's page too. Like he is the sensei for me and will always be. And one day he sent me something about a story that, you know, something that was going on in the news. And I hit him back and I gave him my thoughts. And I said, well, hey, if you want to write about this, I know some people that can help you. And then the next day I got an email from ESPN.com that said, hey, Ralph said you can write this. You think you want to? Can you imagine that? Like That's Ralph crazy. Wiley being like, nah, he got this. And I'm like, That's dope. me? That's dope. And so then I was in, right? I was like, okay, I left grad school in 05 and I decided in one year I'm going to earn a contract at ESPN.com. That's my goal. I'm freelancing for them and I'm going to do it. And in one year I did it. And then one year after that, they did me. They were like, yeah, thanks for, thanks, <laughs> thanks for stopping by the booth. Um, it's been real. It's been fun. It ain't been real fun. But then, you know, three years later, I came back around, and here we are. So your your intellect continues to shine, and clearly you do a lot of reading. So it's only right that I ask you, what are your top five sports books that you've read? Okay. Number one, and this may blow a few people's minds, but number one for me without question is Friday Night Lights by Buzz Bissinger. Not the movie, not the TV show. I understand sports so much better from reading that book because it puts sports in the context of identity and the people who consume and care about. So it's obviously about high school football and all this, but it also kind of doubles as a sociological study. It doubles as a study of race in the 1980s in America, but what it really helped me to understand was why sports were so important to the people who watch them. And it's because those athletes are reflective of their values, right? It's reflective of something about them. And that's why they invest in these teams. Like the teams in sports that have the biggest fan bases and the most loyal ones are the ones where that team and that brand, people associated with something bigger, right? right? And I learned that from reading that book. Number two, I would say it's a compilation, but Classic Wiley, which is a book that ESPN put out, um, about a, a collection of Ralph Wiley's work that I think will give anybody a great chance to really understand who that man was and where he was coming from um, on all those things. There's another one called Brand NFL. I think the author is Mark Leibovich, but um, 
I know it's a book that the Players Association gives guys to understand what the game is, but if you want to know how the NFL sells itself mm-hmm. and how we get there, that is a big one. Um, what is that one I used? There's another one that I really like. Um, Jackie Robinson's autobiography called I Never Had It Made. Um, I think that that's a very big one for people to check out because it gives you a whole different impression of Jackie Robinson than the one that you may have had just from, you know, they treat him like Martin Luther King on his day, right? Like, oh, Jackie made us so much better. What a good guy. Jackie was a gangster, man. Story by Jackie Robinson and Joe Lewis uh, being in the army together and somebody broke bad with Joe Lewis and Jackie Robinson put a pistol in his mouth. Wow. His mouth. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, my man is not playing any games. And then after that, I don't know, you know, we start getting lists, it get, get a little tricky, but I do think that a book worth it for people to read is called um, Jim Brown, The Fierce Life of an American Hero by Mike Freeman. It's a great bio with Jim Brown. It's not plaster sainthood. I think it does a very fair job of dealing with him um, and all the good and bad that comes with Jim Brown. But I think that those five will get you a long way.